Hello, Wounded Healers. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and I'm so excited that you've joined us today. Today is actually a super duper special day. If you've been following the podcast for a minute, you know that in November, we put out a podcast listener survey because I really wanted to know all about you. I found out some very exciting things, and I can't wait to share a couple of those with you. But today is the day that we announce the winner. Yay! I mean, really, if you're listening to this podcast, I know you're already a winner, but this person is going to win over $300 worth of prizes. So I'm very excited. We're going to pull it on uh, Instagram Live today at noon. That's central time in Chicago. So if you are around at noon or you're at your lunch and you just want to tune in and see if you won, like celebrate whoever else won, please do that. We would love to have you join us. That Instagram is at Head Heart Therapy. So make sure to join us at noon. So a couple of cute things that I learned about you. Let's see here. So looks like over 50% of you consider yourselves spiritual and not religious, which I found super interesting. Many of you work in the mental health field. The vast majority are private practice therapists, but there were actually, it was looks like about 30% of people who are not in the mental health field. So that makes me really excited that it's not just for therapists. This is for everyone. Let's see what else was super interesting. Oh, your pets. Let me scroll down to that part. That was super cute. Okay. So most of you have pets. It looks like there are 23% of you that don't. I'm not judging. Don't worry about that. But <laughs> okay. Most people had dogs. There was about 40% of people who had dogs. 20% of people had cats. There were some of you who preferred not to answer, which is totally fine. We also have exotic pets, farm animals, fish, reptiles, dog and cat, cats and dog, bunny, children. Who put that their children were their pets? Hysterical. Uh, cats, dogs, horse, chickens, and hamster. So I was really excited to hear about all that cool stuff about you. And I can't wait to share more. And I can't wait to come out with some things that I hope that you will like. So now on to today's guest. Today's guest is another person that I randomly found on Instagram. I always love those connections. So it's Kathy Hennessy. Kathy Hennessy is a licensed psychotherapist with a private practice in Massachusetts. She's currently conducting research on people who consider themselves the black sheep of the family. As the black sheep in her family, she was looking for support and validation for her healing journey. And we certainly found validation and healing in our journeys together through this conversation today. So please enjoy this amazing conversation with Kathy Hennessy. Hello, Kathy. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm pretty good today. Yeah, I was just thinking, how am I? Uh, today, I'm good. How about you? Good. Well, I'm... A little jittery today with stuff going on and right, right. a lot of busyness. And I don't like that. I know. I was just, I've been talking about that all day. Like I miss the beginnings of the pandemic where we could just be like, I'm sorry, I don't have the will to live. I can't do anything. And people would be <laughs> like, okay. Like if you say that now, people will be like, mm, really, aren't you back to normal yet? Yeah. I'm not normally an anxious person, but mm. right now I have this. Mm -hmm. underlying high frequency going on. Yeah. And because I'm not used to it, it's like, ugh. Yeah. Well, it's welcome here. So bring it. All right. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
we met on Instagram because I reposted something about a black sheep. Yes. And then you commented and I was like, um, hi, I looked at your profile and I'm like, you're doing some cool ass shit. So yeah. would you share with folks more about what you're doing in the world? So I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I have my own private practice. And I work mostly with relationship issues for like 14 on up to whatever. And I've always known that I was the black sheep. My mother would say, you've got middle child syndrome, which hmm. was also true. Mm -hmm. And I guess I don't know how different being a black sheep is from a middle child, but mm -hmm. I know there are certainly black sheep that are the oldest, the youngest, the right. And so mm -hmm. I just always felt different, whatever label you want to call it. I've taken on black sheep, which other people have said, Oh no, that's, that's awful. Why do you call yourself that? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know, I kind of wear like a badge of honor. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but I'm like, it is a negative. I'm like, that's why I took it on. Like, that's how I feel. And I'm trying to move past that. And so I was looking for a book about being a black sheep. I had already found a book based on my Myers-Briggs mm -hmm. personality. I what are like, you? Oh, oh, I'm an INFJ. I'm an ENFJ. Oh, mm -hmm. all right. So we got some, some, yeah, and, yeah. Am I, you know, I have gone from being like an extrovert to an introvert. So mm -hmm. I'm like right on that line, you know, mm -hmm. and I think it, as with a lot of introverts, I guess it depends on who you're with, but mm -hmm. in general, like I'm certainly a friendly person, but I don't really like big parties, mm -hmm. big crowds, more about the intimate stuff. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I had, you know, I was trying to learn more about myself because there were Again, feeling like I was either invisible in my family or mm -hmm. I was the sensitive one and no one else had issues. Mm -hmm. So it's all me, therefore. And so what else can I learn about myself? How can I be better mm -hmm. or change? No one else was going to change. So I, was, well, <laughs> I have to be the one, can't control other people. So went looking for a book on being the black sheep. And there's just nothing out there. That's surprising. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. With lots of articles, Google, and you'll get like an mm -hmm. article, a blog, a something. Mm -hmm. But there's very few books. I mean, I later found a couple, but they were more like memoirs mm. rather than kind of what I was looking for, similar to that INFJ book, which was, well, this is what it means. This is what it looks like. And how can you accept that? and integrate it in a healthy way, mm -hmm. right? So that's kind of the book that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. Well, I have yet to find it. So I was like, so write one. Yeah. Which is a scary thought still. Uh, yeah, I saw uh, your eyes kind of go like, even when you said it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, because then it brings up all of those feelings like I've always had, and I think a lot of Black sheep have, of who do you think you are to write, write a book? Like, no, you're supposed to be invisible, right? Mm. Writing a book about being the black sheep isn't very invisible. So, you know, but at the time, my niece had just moved in with me. She was 19 at the time. So that dredged up a lot of mm. family feelings and how I was at Her the age. exact same age. Yeah. So I was like, 
yeah, you and I are simpatico and mm-hmm. not like the rest. So she's like, well, I'm writing my memoir. And she was writing furiously. Oh. But part of that was her getting all her feelings out. There was yeah. a reason why she needed to move out and move in with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so she was writing furiously. And she's like, you should too. I'm like, so I started a memoir. And I was like, it's one, not for me. And two, she has stacks and stacks and stacks of journals she's been keeping since she was 10. Mm-hmm. I have my memory. And we all know memories are not. Mm-hmm. you know, the be all, the end all. So mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not really for me. But I was still, you know, dealing with all that stuff that was coming up and, you know, looking for that book. And I was like, maybe that's mm-hmm. where I need to go. So researching more about it. And part of that was, well, what are other people's experiences? Mm-hmm. So I had a job for a while in psychological research. I was only a research assistant, but I was in that field and could Mm -hmm. see. So I was like, you know, do a study. And then from that, gather the data and Mm -hmm. figure out what to do with it. So that's where I am right now is gathering the data of like, what are other people's backgrounds? What are their experiences? Where do I fit in that? And my next stage would be actually doing interviews. So taking what, you know, I've seen on the survey that people did and going deeper. Mm-hmm. And then after that, start writing a book. So yeah. the book part is still probably at least a year before even starting, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. thinking. Well, you'll have to come back when the book is published. All right, I will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can I ask some questions that I, sure. I don't know if it's an intuitive hit or I'm just curious, but was there any addiction in your family? My father is, was, sorry, he's passed an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the men were alcoholics. So mm-hmm. my mother's father left and was an alcoholic. Irish Catholics, mm-hmm. so much alcoholism, mostly mm-hmm. in the men. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So why did you guess that? <laughs> well, I mean, it was more of an intuitive thing. It just kind of came to me like I was like alcoholism. But then what you said specifically about this, like when nobody else is having a problem, that's just such an alcoholic family system thing. And I didn't used to say it before because neither of my parents were alcoholics, but at least my mom's father was an alcoholic and maybe my dad's father was too. And my dad was a narcissist and really truly a psychopath. But so just kind of recognizing the alcoholic family system lingo and when it Mm -hmm. comes up in other people. And then I was like, red hair, Hennessy, last name. I'm going to guess. (laughs) I'm going to guess you're Irish. Nice. So that's, that's my therapist's spidey sense, everyone. Yeah. Codependence is Mm -hmm. huge in my family. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. because when my mother got fed up with my dad and said, you're an alcoholic, you need to do something about it. And he finally admitted, yep, I am an alcoholic. You know, he didn't want to do anything about it. And Mm -hmm. I think she went to, I don't know if it was Al-Anon or Mm -hmm. codependent meeting or whatever. And Mm -hmm was told, well, you know, you have to learn to detach with love. And she's like, I don't know how to do that. I can't mm-hmm, do that. Mm-hmm. And now, however many years later, it's so obvious that codependence, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen it time and time and time again. Right. And so me growing up and questioning authority and pushing the envelope and asking why, 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 mm-hmm. and being very independent, I can do it myself. Mm-hmm. And now my niece also having independent in a codependent family. Yep. Clash. That's my story too. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And it's only really in the last little while that I've really made that connection. I was like, oh, that's been there all along. Mm-hmm. I just didn't see it with that particular lens. Yeah. With my niece and now her brother leaving the nest, mm-hmm. there's been so much mourning going on. Mm. Oh my God, it's the same time. I'm like, actually it's two years in between. But like just the the grief was like, mm. it's not like you didn't see them grow up and know that mm-hmm. 18 is coming and that they're going to fly their wings but it's mm-hmm. like, it's a slap in the face that they grew up. I, <laughs> yes. Well, did you feel that too? I mean, my mother, literally, I was probably 33 years old and she was sobbing like, don't you need me? And I was like, no. And that's and normal. Right. Right. Like, I don't even need my husband. Like, I want to have an interdependent relationship right. where we can support one another, but to need that just dragging down. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's so interesting because, you know, I raised my kids to fly. Mm-hmm. One of them just moved to California. Another one might be moving to Albuquerque. And, and where are you? I'm in Massachusetts. Mm, so that's far. Right. But there's way more happening than New mm-hmm. England. So, mm-hmm. you know, I love getting together for lunch or dinner here or there. But you know what? Go fly your wings because I didn't mm-hmm. really. Right. I grew up in Rhode Island. I moved to Connecticut, moved back to Rhode Island, moved to Massachusetts. Whoa! You know, <laughs> like, didn't go very far. Mm. You know, I'm like, go. Will I miss you? Of course. Mm-hmm. Fly. You know, right. that's what we're supposed to do. Well, I think the the codependent or what I've kind of leaned into recently is covert narcissism, recognizing, I mean, codependent has such a negative stereotype with it. And I mean, mm-hmm. I guess narcissism does too, but <laughs> right. but covert narcissism, like it really speaks to what codependency is and it's a need to be needed and identifying oneself through other people mm. thinking that it's service, but really it's this martyr type sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I have seen that in my family. Yeah. And that like, when I think about why my mother couldn't let me go and couldn't let me be other than what she wanted me to be is because that wasn't the mirror that she was looking for, right? Like the codependent needs to have all this positive stuff reflected back. But when you and I are being independent, we're like, no, we're going to do this other thing. They're like, wait, where's my mirror? I had you so that you would mirror me and give me self-esteem. What are you doing? Right. I'm doing what kids are supposed to do. Right. separate. Right. And then you're punished for that. Right. Mm-hmm. At what age did you recognize you wanted to be a therapist? You know, that's hard to figure out. I have a memory of being, I don't know if I was an adolescent or if I was already in college. I want to say high school, but I'm not clear on it, that I wanted to help people, that I wanted to save the world. Mm-hmm. And what was said to me was, as I perceived it in a fairly negative tone, well, if you want to help people today, you would have had to start with their grandparents. Okay. Right. So as somebody... (laughs) (laughs) Which, yes, intergenerational trauma is a thing, but okay. And so there was at least an awareness of that, which Mm -hmm. kudos. But if I can't start two generations ago, should I not start... At all? At all? Right. That's how I took it. 
Right. And so as a, like I said, either adolescent or young adult, I guess that college age is still adolescent and not sure of myself, not trusting my own decisions because I was frequently told that I was wrong and making bad ones. Mm-hmm. Having that told to me was like a roadblock. Mm-hmm. I allowed that to be a roadblock. When I was in college and taking anthropology, sociology, psychology, loving all of it, mm-hmm. you know, I was getting that message and, oh, you know, can't you do something that makes money? Psychology doesn't make money. Mm-hmm. A bachelor's, yeah, okay, I agree with that now, but. At the time, again, mm-hmm. like, but this is where my heart is leading me. Right. So as a confused young person, I was like, screw it. I'll quit. That was a fun time. Um, <laughs> that was not well received. But looking at the windy path that my life has taken, you know, so I quit school, got married, had a child. The marriage was ending as I was also going back to school, let me Mm. finish my bachelor's degree finally, and then working in research and then going back to my master's. Like I learned a lot through that. So I think that has informed me Mm -hmm. as a therapist now, particularly Mm -hmm. with the niche of relationship issues, having gone through and learned so much about my own. Would I have been as good of a therapist if I had done it at 24? I know. I always, I feel bad. I mean, Let me say this, because I just hired a young person at my practice and she like if I never saw her, I'd be like, oh, she's probably in her mid 40s, but she's 26 and she's so (laughs) mature. So it totally depends. Oh, if you never saw her. okay, Yeah. 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 If I never like like actually saw her and just like heard her speak and the way she talks about clients and stuff like that, I would assume she was in her 40s. So but yes, I agree with you. Like me, 24 being a therapist would have been a shit show. Yeah, I was just so young. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that windy path of getting to where I am now has made me a better therapist. Can I imagine some, like, I don't have to experience everything my clients experience Mm -hmm. to be able to acknowledge Mm -hmm. how good or bad that was. But having some experiences, you can relate like, oh, I totally Mm -hmm. get it. You know, right. I'm really excited to support our friends at Sista Afia for their fall campaign, Whole Women, Whole Communities. This year, Sista Afia Community Care has offered 650 free therapy sessions and over 35 community workshops and classes that have collectively served over 200 women. The goal is to raise $35,000 so they can continue to offer free mental wellness care to Black women in Chicago. They need your support to sustain the progress they've made so far. Sista Afia continues to remove barriers to accessing mental wellness care in their communities. Would you please consider contributing to the end-of-year annual campaign by giving $50, $100, $250, or truly whatever amount you can towards the total goal of $35,000? It'll help deepen the impact in providing free mental wellness care for Black women. The campaign will run the entire month of December, but make sure to donate now. To donate to Sista Afia's campaign, please visit donorbox.org slash SACC whole women slash fundraiser slash Sarah dash Bueno. I'm going to ask the questions backwards from how I, I usually do it, just okay. because what you just said segued into, do you consider yourself a wounded healer? I would say so. Mm-hmm. I do think that being a therapist is a healer. 
you know, I work with a lot of couples and it isn't necessarily the goal to stay together. Right. Or even individuals struggling in their relationship. You know, I'll support you either direction. You want to work on this and put your all into it? Great. You don't? Great. Either way could be healing, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I've helped you move further down your path. And, and I think having some big T and small T traumas in my life, I mm-hmm. think does make it that I'm a wounded healer. Mm-hmm. Well, what you just said really reaffirms something I just heard. So I don't know if you believe in any of this, but I've been working with this psychic. He's like psychic. He talks to angels, does astrology, whatever, just like all the shit. And I'm writing a book right now about my experience of trauma in the hopes of like, you know, I share my story. Other people can see their stories. And I was getting stuck on this, like the fear, well, the truth that it's going to hurt my family, the people who are still alive and thinking like, is it a good thing or a bad thing, right? That I write this. And he was like, step out of the binary. It's healing. It's going to be healing and it might be destructive. And it's like Kali energy, right? Who comes in and destroys everything so that it can be reborn, right? Right. I have the same fears. Yeah. You know, even what I've said already. Right. Will I share this podcast? Right. Right. Like how will my family take it? Right thoughts recently, I should really be blogging, like particularly when I get Mm. in my feelings, which I have been the last couple of days, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing, like Mm -hmm. to blog. And then that would get Mm -hmm. me, you know, used to writing and stuff. And I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but if they read it, then, oh, where's that going to send me? And yeah, it's scary, but it could be good for my healing and I don't hold And up. it could be good for their healing too. But like what I keep trying to remember is their healing has nothing to do with me. And even though I want a relationship with my family, I can't have that. I can't have it the way that things are right now. But they still may receive healing again from the destruction that that right like we're truth tellers. I think that's what the black sheep is, yes. is a truth teller. And we're shining a light on the things that the rest of the family doesn't want to look at. And as long as we're not doing it to try to force them to see it, if they look away when it's in a fucking book, like that's on them. But I don't know how someone could read it and be like, oh, that no, that's just not like something somewhere, even if it's not completely conscious, has to shift on some level. At least that's how I'm holding it. Well, and that's the hope, right? right. It's still scary to yes. think about and have to manage other people's reactions. Do you have to manage them though? Sorry, I'm not trying to be your therapist, but because no, I'm okay. I'm having these state, like everything I'm saying to you, I'm also saying to myself. So, Oh my God. And my 20 year old niece said something similar to me today too. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, and you hate like, that, right? When you get yeah, the she's message. Like, <laughs> she's like, what would you tell me? I'm like, oh, shut up. right and you know she's like I can't worry about other people's reactions anymore what a wise young woman oh my god yes and she (sighs) wants to be a therapist so she's not quite one yet but I will send her your direction when that yeah (laughs) yeah because 
she is, she's amazing. Mm. But to, you know, have her call me out on the same things I've called her out on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a call in though. Yes. Yes. Right. And it's so easy to get caught up in the drama and in that, the frenetic energy of conflict, especially with our families, there's something so sticky about it. So Mm. when somebody else from the outside can be like, no, you have a choice. Like my friend is losing her father and she was telling me all of these things, all the ways she's going to get fucked. And I was like, but you have choices. Do you have to participate in things the way that your family wants you to like, no. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're, you're right. I do have choices, you know, and sometimes right. it's not that simple, of course, but we do. I mean, like, God bless Al-Anon. That's what I learned from Al-Anon. You know, I might not mm. like all my choices, but I have them. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I was raised in a way of make sure you're worrying about other people's feelings first. And I don't know if that's the codependence thing, if mm-hmm. it's just the values, th- whatever. Were they also like super into Catholicism? Super, no. Mm-hmm. I would not call that super. I have cousins, yes. But, you know, it could have just been, you know, one of those generational things. And it's not a bad thing to be thinking about other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. But first and only, right. as if your feelings don't matter at all. And that's how I frequently felt that my feelings don't matter at all. Right. And so even when thinking about doing this podcast, doing, mm-hmm. you know, blogs or writing the book, mm-hmm. I'm already worrying about other people's feelings, mm-hmm. but also like, mm-hmm. well, how's that going to come back at me? Right. <laughs> and therefore right. my own feelings. Do I want right. that storm? You right. know? Mm-hmm. And yet I feel like writing the book helps me get in touch with me. Yes. And you got disconnected. I'm making an assumption, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but you got disconnected from your truth as a child because they kept telling you, no, what you see and hear and feel is not real. Right. You know, and I was the sensitive one. And instead of that, seeing Mm -hmm. that as a positive, it was seen as a negative. Right. Stop being so sensitive. Right. Why? I don't want to be. I don't want to stop. I don't want to be cold and shut down and... Mm-hmm. Because that's what it is in an alcoholic family system, right? Because when I think about my mom and how she had to view herself in order to just survive, like there was so much pain. I don't know what happened in her house growing up, and I don't think that I'll ever know. But one of the kids in the household killed themselves. Another mm-hmm. one is an alcoholic, and my mom died at 62 of breast cancer. So shit went down enough that mm-hmm. something bad happened and and she had to hold on so desperately to this really rigid idea of what it means to be a good person and she couldn't reconcile what i was telling her was like you're not being a good mom cuz you're not listening to me you're not hearing me like she just couldn't tolerate it and if she would have seen that she would have destroyed herself earlier mm. And it's keeping the attachment to the family system, right? So in order to preserve the way that things look, the way that we want them to be on the outside, like, I mean, my mom still never admitted that her father was an alcoholic, but he died of stomach cancer in his 60s. There were stories about him getting pulled over by the cops all the time. Mm -hmm. It clearly goes down the family line. We see the alcoholism keep going. She's like, no, no, no. The drunk is the person that's like the homeless lying in the street. That wasn't my dad. She just couldn't tolerate it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What's coming up for you? 
Well, my thought had been when you were talking about the intergenerational stuff Mm -hmm. and how it basically came out in her in cancer. And, you know, I think that that is so fascinating. You know, Mm -hmm. certainly we're living in a polluted world where putting things on our body, in our body that are not healthy and Mm -hmm. we have very little control over that. Mm -hmm. So you can get cancer from who knows what, but I do find that fascinating that Mm -hmm. like, that it can also happen through stress. You know, my mother noticed that. I think that that was what eventually prompted her to leave was that mm. she was getting physically sick by staying with my father. And she, wow. had gone, she had gone away. She rented a place for the summer, like two weeks with her friend and was able to relax. And she says when she came home and was pulling in the driveway, all of a sudden her digestive system was like, you know, Mm, and was like, ding, 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 ding. What's that? Wow. Good for her to notice that. Yeah. But I think, you know, it took that being away to even know, Mm -hmm. you know, and then having that like slapper in the face, like that's Mm -hmm. what this is. Yeah. Well, there's a woman named Veronique Mead. Have you heard of her? Mm-mm. She was an MD originally and ended up going back to get her master's in somatic therapy because she recognized, mm. I have all these patients that have these ailments that it doesn't physically make sense why this is happening. She's like, I think there's something there. And then so she becoming a trauma therapist really is able to put together the connections of the physical symptoms that come from trauma. And she's got a blog and she talks about it's it's like she takes the ACEs, so the adverse Mm -hmm. childhood experiences and parses it out even more in more niche for the different ways that we're traumatized and how that shows up often is chronic illness. Like my mom had lupus. She had like every organ taken out of her that could ever be taken out because everything was just busted. Like fibromyalgia, right? Like all of these things that now we know all of that is because of trauma. Because like you said, there's stress hormones. Everyone's Mm -hmm. releasing more cortisol, which is toxic to a system if you're chronically like that. She didn't sleep well, like all these things. Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so fascinating to see that. And sad, right. obviously, as well, particularly when people can't recognize it or choose not to do anything different. Exactly. Yeah, I was listening to one of your podcasts today while waiting at a doctor's appointment. The woman who at 10 years old went to a therapist because she was having stomach pain. Is it Anjali? I've done like so many now. I can't remember. I know. <laughs> this is another woman in Chicago. She'd been taken to... Oh, Margot. Yes. Margot Jaco. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so even her, you know, her doctor was like, take her to a therapist. We can't mm-hmm. find anything physically wrong with her. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, I think mm-hmm. you're afraid of your dad was like, mm-hmm. ding, ding, mm-hmm. ding. And yeah. it's just so fascinating how our brains work and mm-hmm. or don't work mm-hmm. well I guess it works How it is it works, working right it's, yeah it's, you know good bad mm-hmm. and otherwise yeah well I've got you know just speaking of, of trauma I've got a client right now where we're really just trying to honor her body's response to chronic repeated like mm-hmm. really significant trauma you know in that like the body's just gonna do what it thinks it needs to do to continue to protect you and if you're not completely safe, which if you like, if the trauma is living in your head, then you aren't safe. 
Right. Right. It doesn't know the difference. Right. It doesn't know the difference. And you, and you are, you know, I don't mean to say this in like a victim blaming way, but you're perpetuating it by remaining in these trauma patterns. And we talk about like, there's the groove that's, you know, worn in the brain. And so we have to do a new one. The psychic guy was telling me today, he's like, yeah, it's like a trickle of water, you know, a trickle of water goes down a dirt path you know, if it goes down long enough, it becomes a creek and then it becomes a river and then it becomes a lake and all this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I use that analogy with clients too. you know, what fires together, wires together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I use the path like in the woods, you know, Mm -hmm. there's the Mm well-worn path that you visit these memories all the time, Mm -hmm. but you can rewire it and make a new path and that will grow over, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, what's helped you rewire? I don't know how to say this without giving the credit away. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had an excellent therapist, but I think my current husband hmm. is amazing. And God, even just like saying this, I'm getting like I emotional yeah. that he loves me scars and all. And it took a while for me to like realize that I th- we probably were together 15 years or something already when mm. I was like, Oh my God, he's such a good catch. And then at some point I was like, I must be a good catch. And oh, it was like, it was like Kathy. a slap on the head. Like as if those 15 years I was still hiding mm. somehow that if he really knew me, he wouldn't want me. I relate to this so much. I'm like, really trying to stay not in my feelings and why get in your feelings <sighs> <laughs> you just gave me the emoji face with like the one eye closed and oh. the- <laughs> it is sad when I think about it that it took mm-hmm. that long for me to wake up and go I'm not hiding anything like mm-hmm. he can see it all mm-hmm. and yet he's still here and it was like an aha moment. Mm-hmm. And I think I've propelled forward with that. Just being loved for who I am, that I don't mm-hmm. have to be someone else, do something different, mm-hmm. listen to this kind of music, or wear these type of clothes, or conform. So it wasn't really therapy or a book. It was being loved. It was being loved the way I deserve to be loved. Oh. Woof there. Woof. That was hard. So deep. And I I feel the exact same way. I used to say that I tricked my husband into marrying me. You know, same thing. And for the longest time, I was just like, why are you with me? Right. And we just celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. And I still, I don't know still that I can drop into really the true belief that he's lucky to have me. Like I can intellectually tell you how I've helped him, but I don't know if I can completely drop into that. And the psychic and I were talking about this today too, that because my dad didn't love me and sexually abused me, there was something that I imprinted internally that I'm not supposed to be loved. And so being with my husband is that's cognitive dissonance. Because right. he fucking loves me unconditionally. Right. How interesting that we have the same yeah. experiences. Yeah. And not surprising, right? No. But yeah, I, I think that I'm like on that line. Like I know we're good together and other people say we're good together. And mm-hmm. 
But people thought that about my last marriage too. Mm. And that didn't work out. And there was lots of pretending and Mm. hiding and performing and Mm. probably for both of us, I can only speak for me, Mm -hmm. but I think going through the divorce, we had done some processing with each other. Mm -hmm. And when I, you know, said, I don't think you even liked me. And Mm. his response was, I don't think I liked myself. So I think there was a lot of blanket word immaturity, but Mm -hmm. I know I've grown a lot, but I think being loved unconditionally, and I don't think that I was before. Yes. And again, that would be such a blow to our mothers, right? Like my mom would say, of course, I unconditionally love you, but no, you didn't. You didn't see me. Right. And my mother would say that too. And I think in her mind, she does believe that and she would be hurt. Yes. To think that I don't see that. Is she still alive? She is. Mm -hmm. But I don't. I feel Mm -hmm. invisible. Yeah. As long as I conform and be like my sisters, then it's okay. And Mm -hmm. I know, I mean, I know she loves me. I know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've done things to hurt her and Mm -hmm. she hasn't held it against me at all. And so Mm. on some level, she did love me unconditionally because I did things that hurt her and she didn't even bring it to my attention. So I didn't even know she knew until years later when I was like, I've been carrying this around for too long. Mm. But there was still, so there's that level of unconditional love that she was able to provide. But Mm -hmm. then there was really loving me, really listening or hearing, seeing me for who I really am. And that's the ultimate rejection of a child right? Like not only are parents supposed to unconditionally love their children, but they're supposed to delight in their children. Right. And my mom delighted in me only when I was performing, just like you said, like the way that things were supposed to look, what her expectations were. And she, I think she really wanted to create the family she didn't have, but instead of like recognizing what I needed, she tried to give me what she didn't have. Right. And that doesn't work. I was working with a client just this week where she was like, I want my kids to come to me with everything because I didn't have anyone I could go to. And so I was gently like, that's controlling. You can provide, you can provide the perfect environment, but it's up to your kids to talk to you. And so to try to force that is just making it worse. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, there were certainly times that I went to her with things, but not as often as I sought out other people. Who probably saw you. Or at least was trying harder to see me. Right, right. As much as I could see me. Exactly, right. But I I imagine, and I think this is one of the things that comes out in the research about resilience is just having somebody else who does see you, regardless of what's going on. And, you know, I was in... I was lucky enough to be a good singer. And so I had choir teachers over the years that really saw me and they really were like, no, you're talented. Like you can do something. I believe in you. Mm. And having that unconditional love and that being met and being, you know, I mean, of course it was about a talent, so it wasn't really an intrinsic value, but still somebody who saw the truth in me rather than trying to get me to be like something else. Right. That's awesome. I don't know if I had anybody 
I can't think of anybody mm-hmm. like that. In some ways, my father could see me in a way and that I didn't really realize or appreciate until after he was gone. But when I would get all up in my feelings and passionate, I wanted to like fix this and fight that. And he wouldn't shut that down and go, Mm. whatever. I don't know if my mother did because I probably learned not to bring those things to her. Right, right. But he's like, who's they? And who are you going to fight? Like, Mm. would make me do that thinking that adolescents don't Mm -hmm. do. They Mm -hmm. just want to, you know, fight something. And he's like, who's they? And at the time it was like annoying. Mm-hmm. But then also like, okay, he's making me think deeper. If I'm going to have a passionate mm-hmm. stance on something, I should probably know what it is I'm fighting mm-hmm. for or against. Or So in that way, he saw me and kind of encouraged it, even though it was how he did that was a little annoying at the time. But mm-hmm. like, I can appreciate it now and wish I had more time with him. Yeah. Well, we're, we're coming close to the end of the hour and I wanted to, do do you need more subjects for your research? Shall we advertise how people can connect with you there? Yeah, that would be great. So the website is beingtheblacksheep.com and my Instagram is being underscore the underscore black underscore sheep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a, I think it's like 19 question survey and then, you know, doing the interviews. So I don't have a number in mind of the number of people, the more, the better, you know? So Mm -hmm. I have my survey tool until Mm -hmm. April or something like that. So however, great. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And it's just, it's so cool to relate to you on so many different levels Mm. and, I mean, I think your book does need to be written because, you know, I feel like you and I have a certain level of strength that we can tell our stories out loud, but there are so many people who are the black sheep who can't. Right. And so thank you for speaking for those who don't have access to their voice. That's what I hope to do. It took yeah. me a long time to find mine and mm-hmm. and a pandemic, I think, to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to find mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, I just so appreciate meeting you and and having this connection with you today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. To find out more about Kathy and potentially participate in her research, you can visit us at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast so that you can find her episode. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.